in Mark chapter 13. As you guys know, we are in the last week of Jesus' life. And so much of the Gospels is dictated and dedicated to this last um, seven days, four days, three days of Jesus' life in all four Gospels. And one of the things I love so much about Jesus is that in this, in this point in Jesus' life, and each Gospel gives us a little bit different. And as you study this period of Jesus' life in the Gospel of John, what you, what you find is that three different times in the last four days of Jesus' life, He says something to this effect to His disciples and those around Him, that He was so concerned with their joy, and that their joy would be full, and that His joy would be in them, and that they would receive joy and have joy. And it's like Jesus is getting ready to die on a cross. It says that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And he asked three times if there's any other way for the people at Tooele Springs to get saved, then let's go with that plan. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And yet, getting ready to face that, the Bible says that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. It says that an angel from the heaven that came and ministered to Jesus during this time of distress, the Bible says. Getting ready to face that, what is Jesus concerned with? Well, I know what you would be concerned with. I know what I would be concerned with. Myself. Yourself. Hey, guys, you know what? I'm going to face something really hard. And could you guys just make the next couple days about me and just take care of me and pamper me and look out for me? Can we just think about me for a couple days? But what's so cool about Jesus is... He, he cared about you on those last couple of days. He cared about us on those last couple of days. You know, I was just with Kate, and I'm going to share a little bit about her again later. But Kate is a woman who's, who's from our church, and she hasn't been here for quite a while because she's been um, stage four terminal um, with pancreatic cancer. And she's very close to, to, to going home to be with Jesus, and she's ready to go home and be with Jesus. And we went and visited her this week, Caleb and I. And the whole time I'm there, she's so worried about me and I'm comfortable and I have what I want to drink and, you know, everything is so perfect. And then, you know, she's dying and, and on death's doorstep and in amazing pain. And yet she's worried about me. One of the things I love about Jesus, let me tell you what that has to do, exactly what that has to do with the sermon that I'm going to share with you guys today. Nothing. <laughs> it has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. All right. Um, in, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, we're going to get what's called the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is this big dramatic finish to a question that the disciples ask about when will be the end of days and the end of the world and Antichrist and death and death and all this crazy ominous stuff that's going to happen at the end of the world with the apocalypse and the, and, and the Armageddon and all these things. And the disciples come and they say, Jesus, when will these things be? And then Jesus answers their question. We have this same um, discourse that Jesus gave, again, a few days before he's going to be on a cross. It's the same passage. We call it the Olivet Discourse because he was standing on the Mount of Olives when he gave it. We have it in Matthew chapter 24, probably the biggest of the four Gospels where it's, it's, in, it's recorded in the most detail in Matthew 24. We also have it recorded in Luke chapter 21 and here in Mark chapter 13. Three different Gospels record the Olivet Discourse. And it's about the end of the world. And what will be the sign in the age? And the disciples come to Jesus and he tells them that the temple is going to be destroyed. And in their mind, if the Jewish temple that Solomon built and that Herod rebuilt and this temple in, that sat there as the, the icon of the world that was in Jerusalem in the temple trillions of dollars by today's standard of gold covered this this temple 
that was there in the day of Jesus. It was said in the days of Jesus that you, you couldn't look at the temple mount if the sun was hitting the temple just right because the shine from the gold off the temple would, would blind your eyes. It was so magnificent. And Jesus just gets through telling the disciples that not one stone is going to be left on top of another. And their reaction is, oh my gosh, really? Well, that's got to be the end of the world then. So Jesus, when is this going to happen and what's going to be the sign of your coming? And Jesus goes in and he begins to give things that you might sound familiar to you. There'll be earthquakes and famines and wars and rumors of wars and pestilence in very in various places. And we've, we've done that Bible study, you guys, about going through all of those things. We, we've done it in the other Gospels. We spent, uh, uh, we spent some quality time in the book of Revelation going through and, and looking at earthquakes and, and, and pestilence and all these things that Jesus described that's going to happen at the return of Jesus. And, and, and to be ready for those things. And that's, that's not going to be the direction I want to go today with this message and with this stuff. We've done it already. If you missed it, we'll, 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 you can get the tape. You can check it out. But, but there's another message, and I think one of the most important messages about the return of Jesus in the day that we're living that I want to share with you guys today. And we're going to go through Mark 13 kind of quickly, verse by verse. And like I said, we're not going to detail all those things. We've done that already in the other Gospels. But, but in this particular message, I think for, for us today, the, one of the most important things that we neglect, first of all, let me, let, before I get to the most important thing, don't, don't let me forget to get back to that, all right? Somebody like, can I sign somebody like, hey, Pastor Chris, you said you're going to get back to that thing? Remind me to do it, but the, be, before we get there, uh, I already forgot what the thing was. No, I'm just kidding. So we, we've already done that other message. So the most important thing, yes, that's where we are. The most important thing, the most important thing in this um, kind of message today that I want to share with you guys is now, first of all, here's where we are. First of all, if you as a Christian person, you don't have to defend the fact that Jesus is coming back. I want to let you know that you're not a fanatic. You're not a Jesus freak. Well, I mean, hopefully you are a fanatic and a Jesus freak and all those things. But, but it doesn't qualify you as the world wants to label us if we're the type of Christians that believe that Jesus is going to physically return and come back to the earth. That he's going to come back and get his church, his bride. You don't have to be ashamed of that or unapologetic of those things. Because Jesus is coming back and you only have to be a child that can read and read the New Testament to see over and over and over and over and over again. It's prophesied and it's said that Jesus is coming back. And again, we've hammered those nails and hammered them and hammered them about the things that are happening in our world that show signs that Jesus is coming back. And without a doubt, unequivocally, I promise you one thing you can take to the bank. Jesus will return. When will he return? That's what everybody wants to know. When is he coming? What will be the sign? Well, and this is the same question the disciples asked. And so the message again I want to share with you guys today is that Jesus is not back yet. And so in the meantime, there's work to be done. And until Jesus comes back, we, we, we need to be working and, and not have our heads stuck in the clouds. Turn with me if you, if you would. Um, to Acts chapter 1. I want to just highlight a couple things for you guys. Actually, we're going to get to Acts chapter 1. Hold your finger in Acts chapter 1 and also find 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And, and I want to share with you just a couple things that, that happen in that Jesus is coming back without a doubt. But as Jesus comes back and until he comes back, there's work to be done. You, you, guys, you guys realize that 
every generation from the Apostle Paul believed that they were living in the days that would see the return of Jesus Christ. And, and, and rightfully so. Peter tells us in, in, in Peter's uh, epistle, he says, you know what? There's going to come a generation and they're going to mock you guys that say Jesus is coming back because he hasn't come back yet. And they're going to say, well, where is the promise of his coming? He's slack concerning his promise. And you hear that today all over the place where people are mocking the church and Christians because we believe that Jesus is coming back. And he is going to come back. Let me share with you something that you should be familiar with. Let's start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. And it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the... Somebody say clouds. Okay, so those who are alive and remain will be caught up. That word caught up is where we get the word rapture. The, 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 the word is harpazo, from which we get our, our Latin word, raptus, where we get our English word rapture. That's how it comes and where you find it in the Bible, the word rapture. It's harpazo is the Greek word. Raptus is the Italian or the, Greek, or the Latin word. And rapture is our English word, but it's, it's caught up, that we're going to be raptured, we're going to be taken out. And it says we're going to, and if you don't think it means caught up or taken out, then he tells you where he's going to meet you. Where does he say he's going to meet you in the next verse? Together with him in the clouds. Let me tell you something really interesting in the Greek about this word clouds. You know what that word clouds means in the Greek? It means clouds. Like those fluffy things that when you were a kid, you wondered if you could go get a jar and scoop them up and hang out with them and play with them. And the, the, the clouds in the air, Jesus says he's going to meet us literally in the clouds. And then he goes on and it says, in the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be with him always. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, that's always the heart, you guys, we have to have as a Christian church, as a, God's people, is, is that, yeah, some of these things are ominous as we study in times, as we look at. I don't know about you guys, but man, maybe because of where we're studying, but my, my heart was just so heavy this week. Started with that whole gorilla nonsense, and, and don't get me wrong, like, I... I I think it's a tragedy that that, 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 that's an amazing animal. I had the privilege one time of being um, in the zoo and out in San Diego. And then there was these two huge silverback gorillas and they were playing, but it was crazy violent. They were running and I mean, amazing, amazing specimen, human thing that God created. One of the most um, powerful animals, the world that's on planet earth. They can take a green coconut with one hand and go like this and squish it. You can't, you can't open a coconut with a, with, with a hatchet and a sledgehammer. A, a, green, you know, a, a silverback gorilla has the strength of like 30 men. Amazing, powerful thing. So without a doubt, a tragedy, right? But at the same time, the, the reaction that, that, that the world has to, and, the, and that our society takes over this, this gorilla, that, that, that really when it comes to human life, what's more important and how, how they want to you know, kill the zoo people and kill this mom and death threats to this family... I don't know about you guys, but have you guys ever lost sight of your kids? Are you guys all like amazing, just perfect parents that you never could happen to you in 20 years of raising kids? Lydia and I have left our kids at the church and both went home before. We get home and I thought they were with you. I thought they were with you. And we're driving back to the church and they're sitting outside crying. Oh, you left me. We're sorry. We're glad there wasn't a gorilla cage for you to jump into. But the, the, the reaction, you, you, know, you know, on the same day 
that Harambe died, 122,000 abortions were performed that same day around the world. That's the population of Provo, Utah. We killed a population the size of Provo, Utah on the same day that, that Harambe was killed. Not one person is public outrage over that. And then this week to have to watch some innocent woman who has a right to go and support whatever candidate she wants be crowded by a group of violent men who are waving things in her face, this close to her face, and they're throwing eggs and things at her, and she's scared to death. And did you guys see the, the clip? All over. And in, 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 in the last rally, and the, the last Trump rally, and the, the rally was inside, and they came outside, and there was a horde of thugs outside and just terrorized. And the mayor of the town told the police to stand down. And, 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 and all the videos that came out this week from this rally... This one guy has a sign and someone rips it out of his hands and he's walking away from him, trying to get away. And the guy comes up from behind him and hits him on the side of the face with his sign and blood squirts out of his ear, down his shirt. And, and, and just heartbreaking is my point. We live in a world that's just in a, in a place now where, you know, you used to see this stuff on, on TV in other countries. And, and, and where... Where, why is it in our country that, you know what, men and women died, right, for the freedoms of this country so that people can vote for who they want to vote for and, and, and protest or, I mean, you know, do what they want to do without the threat of violence involved. And, and yet it's, it's heartbreaking to see it in our country. You know, the other thing in France, there's um, amazing riots going on in the street of France right now. Crazy, crazy riots that won't even make your your your... your Midweek news or your pretty guy, pretty girl, mainstream media. You haven't seen it, have you? Has anybody seen the riots? Other than if you have some, some specialty news sources, anybody seen video clips of what's going on in Paris or, in, or in, in, in France this last week in Paris? Suburbs of Paris? Blow your mind. What's going on there with, with civil unrest among the refugees and, the, and, and some of the Muslim communities that are there warring and battling with the cops? But again, not... So, in the world we live in, all that to say, I'm not like, like this. This message is not to get you guys all like, oh man, this world sucks. You're right. Like, that's not the point. Okay, don't don't miss it. It, it, it is that we have a heavy heart, and and that yes, there that, that Jesus is going to come and set this stuff right, and, and that we long for that, and we desire that, and that He's going to meet us in the clouds and in the air, and, and and yet in all of that ominous, junky stuff that's going on in the world. In dealing with this, this is what the Bible says multiple times. Hey, you guys, comfort one another with those words. Hey, lift your eyes because your redemption draws nigh. Be, have joy through these things. That's like giving somebody a tomato and saying, hey, enjoy this. It just doesn't happen, right? How can, that's evil. That's disgusting. It's a tomato. How can you do that? Right? You know, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it was with a tomato, right? It's a forbidden fruit. How come it's the only fruit that grows on a vine? Don't fruits grow on trees? It was cursed to its belly, just like Satan. That, that's my tomato theology. <laughs> but, it, you know, like Jesus said, and the Bible says, comfort one another with these words. And as we see the world falling apart around us, we also see biblical prophecy falling into place as well. And, and all of these things are, are falling into place. And, and yet comfort one another with these words. The Lord's going to meet us in the clouds. Now, I asked you to hold a finger in Acts chapter 1. You, you got you there? So in Acts chapter 1, 
in verse number nine, it says that now when he had spoken these things, they watched and he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. What received Jesus out of their sight? Jesus was taken up in a cloud. Now, now this word cloud is like, that's a funny word, right? For me to focus on and highlight like, in the last verse, I missed my punchline in this one. I, I said, hey, look at that verse. And there's some real spiritual word in that verse. And which one do you think I'm really going to pick out and highlight? And I said, you're going to get it wrong because nobody's going to pick cloud. But that's the one I want to focus on, the one I want to talk about. We, we saw already where Jesus um, is going to come in a cloud. And here it says that he, that he was taken up and a cloud received him out of the sight. And while they looked, in verse 10, steadfastly toward the heavens, he went up, and behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who were two men st- standing by the disciples in white apparel? Angels, right? Those are angels. And, and who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. How did they see him go into heaven? In a... How does it say he's going to come back? And where are we going to meet him? In a cloud. And the disciples are there and they're in awe and they're watching the, what we call the ascension of Jesus. And he's ascending. You know, he came and he told Thomas, he said, Thomas, put your fingers in my side. To look, look at the holes in my hands. I'm real. I, and he ate a meal with them. He cooked fish for him on the Sea of Galilee. And, and, and he spent some time there after the resurrection showing himself publicly to hundreds of people at a time and working and doing things. That's where he told Peter, Peter, lovest thou me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep post-resurrection. And then when that work was done, he came to the end. And the last thing he tells them was to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I told you to do and what we commonly call the Great Commission. And at the end of the Great Commission, he's caught up in a cloud and now he's gone. And now, pretty soon, he said, hey, go to, go to Jerusalem and tarry there. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is going to go up and the Holy Spirit's going to come down. And the work of the Holy Spirit now in the church age is going to do the work. And, and so they watch him go up and they're in the clouds and they're like, wow. And two angels show up and they say, hey, guys, why are you standing there looking into heaven? Isn't there work to be done? Didn't Jesus tell you to go do something? What are you doing standing there just staring into heaven? And so many times, right, we, we can, in our Christianity, we, we stare into heaven waiting for Jesus and we get so caught up in these biblical prophecies about what Jesus is, that Jesus is coming back and what he's doing, that we forget that he's not back yet. There's work to do. That's not bad for me to say Jesus is not back yet. Let me tell you a little secret. It's the truth. He's not back yet. So until he comes back, then, then there should be some work to do. You know, along this same line, the angels tell the disciples, hey, guys, there's work to do. Quit looking into the heavens. Get, get to work. He already told you what to do. You, you know, in the Great Commission, you know, the Great Commission is recorded more than just in Matthew's gospel at the end. Go, go with me to Mark, and then we're going to get back to Mark 13. But go with me first to Mark 16 at the end of Mark's gospel. Something I noticed in, in this particular um, recording of the Great Commission. You know, our church here, we have this little church triangle that's a part of our um, it's a part of our mission statement. And, and it's trying to keep our, our mission for what we're here to do very simple. And, and so within our, our mission, it, number one, at the top of the triangle is love God, according to, to, the, to what Jesus said the greatest commandment was. On the next angle, bottom of the triangle, is love other people. 
Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the third part of the triangle is the great commission when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Love God, love people, make disciples. So, so that's the great commission that we have. But something I noticed, I don't know that I've ever really picked up before, but look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 14. And it says, later he appeared to the 11. Why, why was it 11 and not 12? Post-resurrection, Judas has already gone out and hung himself. There's only 11 of them left. So he goes to the 11, and as he sat at the table, he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of hearts because they did not believe those who had, had seen after him he had risen. And then he said the Great Commission. Do you realize that Jesus was getting after the disciples a little bit here? It's not like this flowery, cushy, like Jesus says, Oh, guys, come here. Hey, go out into all the world now. You're awesome. You, you know, everybody loves you. They're going to love you, and I love you. And, you know, oh, you're awesome. Here, go, go, go preach the gospel. That's, that's, not, that's not how it went down. Now, now, maybe after Jesus finished his rebuke, and he got to the point where he gave him the commission. Maybe his attitude or his heart changed a little bit towards him. His demeanor changed a little bit. But right before he gives him the great commission, he's getting after him. He's saying, hey, he was rebuking them. What's he rebuking him for? Verse 14. He rebuked him for? Somebody say unbelief. Hardness of heart. So they, they had two issues. First of them was unbelief. And I know for me, when, when, when I'm supposed to go or when I want to go and when I need to go share the gospel, do something for God, quit gazing up into heaven and go do something for the Lord, that at that moment, sometimes that unbelief is like, it, it, it plagues me and it keeps me back. And I'm, I'm not really confident that, that Jesus is going to show up. And in that very hour, the Holy Spirit is going to give me the words that I need to say, that he's going to help me deal with my family that doesn't understand, with my friends that, that don't get it, that people are not going to like me, that things are not going to go well in my life. I'm going to be unsuccessful. I'm going to be embarrassed. And I make all these excuses based on that I just really don't believe what the Bible says and what the gospel says Jesus is going to do in my life, that the Holy Spirit is going to show up and do something amazing. I really believe that Jesus is coming back. And, and, and then that motivates me to go do something for him. And I show up on that moment and I don't have this unbelief that plagues me. I don't have this hardness of heart. And so first Jesus is going to deal with them because he had been teaching them. And so he rebuked them and he says, hey, it's all true. I'm alive. I will come back. Go and, and, and do something and serve, right? In the Great Commission. All right, so let's, let's go to um, verse 13. And again, you guys, with, with the emphasis that Jesus is coming back 100%. But, but Jesus is not back yet. And in the me meantime, there's work to do. He's given you a Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples. So, so let's, let's be motivated with, with going into the world and doing something for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to tell you, and I was going to close with this, but I'm just going to tell you right now. I don't, I don't try to preach with any kind of guilt trip, okay? That's not my style. That's not my heart. If you feel a guilt trip, it, it, that's on you, okay? You gave that to yourself. I, that's not from me. And if it was from me, because here's the deal. Sometimes you go to church and the pastor is pretty good at laying a guilt trip on you about, hey, you're not serving, you're not doing this, you're not, you should be working here and doing that. And you, you feel kind of guilty, like, he's right, you know, everyone should be doing some of those things. And, 
you know, and then you, and then church ends and you sing the last song. And by the time you, you hit that button on the car on your, to set, turn your, unlock your doors, the guilt trip's gone. Like it's, it's, it's taco time, right? It's where are we going to go get a burger and, and guilt trips don't motivate anybody. They motivate you from about, from about your seat to your car and then it's gone. The Holy Spirit has to motivate you. The Holy Spirit has to speak to you. And, and if you just feel a call of God, if you feel God says, hey, yeah, you know what? It is true. There's two bodies, of sea, two bodies of water in Israel. One is dead and one is alive. And the one that's alive has an outlet. And I need to have an outlet in my life. I need to be doing something. I need to be serving God. I do believe that Jesus is coming back and I, I want to serve him somewhere. Then just go to the Lord and say, God, what, what is it that I can do for you? How can I serve you? Where can I find a place, God, to be in your service? You know, and like, like Sam, I'm sure it's the same question he just had. And God said, go to Hungary. <laughs> and you guys are like, I'm never asking the Lord because he might tell me to go to Hungary. He might tell me to go to Africa and I'm just not going to live in a hut. And, and you know what? We, we were afraid. And again, Jesus rebukes our, our fear and our unbelief. And I can encourage you just in that too. God's not going to send you to Hungary if you don't want to go to Hungary. God's not going to send you to Africa if you don't want to go to Africa. I promise. Because the Bible says in Psalms, in chapter 34, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And, and, if, and if he was going to call you to go to Hungary, guess what else he's going to do? He's going to come in the back door of your heart and he's going to put in this desire in your life to go and leave the country and do something. And then he's going to come around the front door and he's going to knock on the door and he's going to say, hey, you want to go to Hungary? Yeah, I totally wanted to do that already. That's way cool. How did that happen? How did you know? And, and, if, and if he hasn't called you, so don't be afraid to go to the Lord and say, God, what is it you want me to do? How can I, how can I have an outlet and a service? And it's, not, it's not a guilt trip. It's not intended to be a guilt trip. It's intended to motivate you to just, you know, do something. Get off your butt. Um, all right, so we, we are going to keep looking at the clock. How much time we got? We're running out of time. All right. Verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1. We're going to go through this kind of, kind of quickly through the Olivet Discourse. Because like I said, I've been through this chapter recently, or this, this Olivet Discourse recently. Then he went out of the temple and over the disciples, and he said, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? No one, no, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So, so it says, one of the disciples, we don't know which one, maybe it was Maybe it was Judas. He was still here during this point. And, and Judas was all impressed with, with material things. And he saw this amazing temple. And so he comes to Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, you know that building up there, that beautiful temple? Isn't it amazing? And Jesus basically says, I'm not impressed. Not one stone will be left upon another. And, and so we, I have a picture I want to show you. So Jesus prophesies that this temple in Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. That, that every stone is going to be not one stone will remain upon another. What you're looking at right there, above that, where the guy and the, the kid in the uh, orange shirt is, in the top of the pile there, and then you go up about, I don't know, 30 feet, 20 feet, to the top where is the temple mound, where the temple sat. Above there, up on the top of there, straight up there, and then to what would be the left as you're looking at these stones, is where the Dome of the Rock is, where the Aleskis Mosque is. And these are the actual stones that were from the, from the, the temple of Herod that were thrown down over the side um, that, that are there. Now, what happened was that in the temple, in the destruction that Jesus predicted in A.D. 70, Josephus in history tells us that there was a drunk soldier who fired a flaming arrow into the temple and at the temple. And the temple was also made with cedar. 
And this cedar wood would have, would have created a fire very big and hot. And, and within this fire that was in the temple, it melted all of the gold, trillions of dollars worth of today's standard gold that was, that, that was built into this temple would have began to run into the cracks and the crevices and the rocks all around the temple. Otherwise, why would every stone be taken off of another? They, they, didn't, they did that because there was gold stuck in the cracks and they were pushing the stones off of each other in order to get all of the gold out. When I was in Israel in 1998, we, we didn't know this existed because the road that is there now, the original level of the Roman road, it was 20 feet higher and it was completely under, underground and we didn't know it was there. And in the last 20 years, they've excavated down to this new level where the actual road was and discovered these stones. And these are the actual stones that Jesus predicts were, were there at the time of Jesus. So we're going back to um, Israel in October of 2018. Put it on your calendar. Start saving your pennies. So and then in verse 3, it says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately. So... This news that Jesus just gave them, not one stone will be left upon another. You have to understand the magnitude of this news for them. The Jewish temple and all of its glory and magnitude was was everything. The, you know, one of the seven wonders of the world, this was number one. This was it. This was the most magnificent thing the world knew. And the temple was going to be destroyed. And so as far as the disciples could conceive is that that must have meant that was the end of the world if the temple was going to be destroyed and not one stone was going to be left on another. And so this gets the attention of the other four guys. Now his inner circle come in after he's having this side conversation with one of the other disciples and they're like, whoa, what? What will tell us then? What, what will be, verse number four, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things will be fulfilled? Now we're so thankful they asked that question because basically they're asking Jesus, when is the end of the world? Now, I, 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 I want to move quickly, and I'm, no, I'm not moving very quickly through this part, but check it out. You guys ready? We, you, can't, you can't really... Um, here's what I'm trying to say. There, Jesus, first of all, you have to understand this. It, it's, it's Jewish in nature, okay? So Jesus is speaking to 12, what kind of people? Jewish people. And where, where are they when he's speaking to them? In Jerusalem, and they're looking at a temple where they would sacrifice, and, it, and it's very Jewish. And it's, you know, Jesus didn't really talk about the church. Jesus didn't talk a whole lot about the Gentile bride. That that didn't come until Peter and Paul and the disciples brought the gospel to the and through the epistles and the rest of the New Testament, where we learn more about the bride of Christ and the Gentile church. So, so Jesus has to, in his wisdom. And, and, and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he has to answer this question in such a way that it's relevant for um, 12 Jewish disciples living in Israel in, in, in 32, and, and that it's also relevant in 2016 for you and me. So how many of you guys, if you had to write a little discourse and a little deal, you could write something that would be relevant for today and would also minister, speak to, be just as relevant, you know, in 2,000 years. And so as we go through this, you just have to keep in context that there's both near and far things that Jesus is talking to. He's having a conversation with his disciples and he's explaining to them some of these things are going to deal with the, the temple and the seventh the prophecy that in 70 AD, the temple will be destroyed. Some of them are dealing with future events that are yet future to us today. And so as we go through them, you know, it's two separate things that Jesus is dealing with. Mark's gospel is a little more concise in the Olivet Discourse and, and a little more cut and dry. 
in Matthew's gospel, it, it, can, it can get a little um, harder to, 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 to break those things down. So you just got to keep a note, uh, that in your mind as we go through it. Verse number five, and Jesus answering them began to say, heed, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deliver many. So right after Jesus died in Israel, it created a little bit of a vacuum. And there were some nut jobs. There was some, you know, David Koresh's and these type of personalities who came on the scene and said, I am the Messiah. And, and, and if you follow me, you will never die physically. And they, 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 the, the whole idea that, that Messiah would come and overthrow the Roman government was very prevalent in Jesus' day. And, and the disciples even didn't get the idea that Jesus was going to die and raise again because their idea of Messiah is somebody who was going to overthrow the Roman government. And so when these other guys came along the scene after Jesus, and history tells us they would come along the scene and people would follow him because they would claim that, that they were going to kill the Romans and win. And the, and the Romans were just coming through and slaughtering them. And thousands and thousands of Jews that were following these false messiahs and false Christs, Christ leading up to AD 70, and then after, and finally Rome came through after all of this insurrection, and Titus Vespasian came through, and he sacked Jerusalem. And when they sacked Jerusalem, the temple caught on fire, and they destroyed the temple, and not one stone was left on another. But Jesus warned his disciples that many false Christs would come, and it happened exactly as Jesus said. And today we live in a day where it's on the rise. And you know, it's funny because you have all these people that believe differently than what we believe, but, but yet they call themselves Christian or they use the name Jesus Christ or they say they are Jesus Christ. There's this one whack job out of Florida and, and he's Jesus de Moncillo or something. And he's the guy that has 666 tattooed on his arm and he claims to be Jesus or the Antichrist, but he's Jesus. And he tells his followers not to follow Jesus um, of Nazareth, but the post-resurrection Jesus and the spirit of Jesus is now in him. And, and it's actually antichrist. And that's why they, they tattoo 666 on their arm and just crazy, right? And people are following him and, and he, and he's completely rich from all of his followers and from this church of these people. And he claims to be a Christ and a, and a type of Jesus. And it's not absurd that, that Jesus promises don't follow those things. And then he goes on and says, verse seven, but when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled for such must happen, but the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines and troubles. And these are the beginnings of sorrows. So these are the beginnings of sorrows. That, that term beginning of sorrows is the same idea that Paul uses. And this is where Jesus says it. In other words, it means beginning of sorrows is, is like labor pains is what it means. And so the description we get, for me, it's very helpful. It's very descriptive. You get it also, Paul actually says birth pangs in 1 Thessalonians. Because the birth pang, when a woman's pregnant, when she's first pregnant, nobody knows. She takes pregnancy tests, she goes announce to her family, I'm pregnant. When she's nine months pregnant, she doesn't need to announce to her family she's pregnant. You can see it, right? You're pregnant. When, when she's great with child and she's ready to give birth, now she's 10 months pregnant and the baby's due any minute. And, and, and everything's different. Now, you know, trying to be careful here. Her ears are swollen and, you know, she's ready to go and you could tell it. And, and, but yet you don't know the day or the hour. You just know that it's close. And then she has her first contraction. And her first contraction is intense, but not as intense as it's going to get. 
And, and then there, the contractions are 30 minutes apart, and, and then they're 15 minutes apart, and then they're 10 minutes apart. And with every time they get closer and closer together, they get more and more intensity and frequency and occurrence. And that's what Jesus said the end times is going to be like. So yes, there's always, always been earthquakes and famines and pestilence and all those things in this list. But what Jesus said was when those things become more and more frequent and more and more intense, then, then, then know that the time is near. Now, again, today's study is not to go through all those events. We've done that study already where we go through and we break them all down and just try to prove that 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 stuff is happening. And then he goes on in verse number nine. He says, but watch out for yourselves that they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my name's sake as a testimony for them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when you when they arrest you and deliver you up to do not worry beforehand. Or premeditate what you will speak, but whatever is given you in that hour, speak that it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and father his children, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures till the end shall be saved. You know, if you experience some hatred in your life as a Christian, it's normal. It's, it's what Jesus said would happen. I don't think you have to be concerned if, if people don't like you because you're Christian. I think you need to be concerned if everybody in your life likes you and doesn't have a problem with you, and you, know, and you fit in everywhere you go. You know, as a Christian, the reality is you're, you, you shouldn't fit in everywhere you go, and, and, and people are not going to like you. But Jesus said that they will hate you for his name's sake. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing... Where it ought not, let the reader understand and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So the, the, the abomination of desolation, as you guys know, is now in verse 14. We're in the middle part of the tribulation period, three and a half years. The Antichrist, who's going to help rebuild the Jewish temple. And, 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 and one of the ways that the Jews are looking to, to decide who the Messiah is, and one of the ways that, that he's going to dupe them is because the, the Antichrist is going to rebuild the Jewish temple. And for that, they're going to believe and follow that he's, he's, he's the Messiah. And so the temple has to go back up in Jerusalem. So as the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, it says here in what Jesus says and what Jesus reminds us of a prophecy of Daniel. He says the abomination of desolation. It's described for us in the book of Revelation where, where the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple and he proclaims himself as God and, and wants to be worshipped as God. And Jesus said, when you see this, he said, flee to the mountaintops. Let him who is in the housetops not go down into the house, nor enter or take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, those who are nursing, and in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter. And then the other one, it says, or on the Sabbath. So how many of you guys are hanging out on your rooftops today? Anybody? I told the last service, I should be hanging out on my rooftop because my Christmas tree lights are still up. That's bad, huh? You know, in, in California, my neighbors would have already, like, crucified me for leaving my lights up, and it's June. But here I had an excuse because, you know, I noticed the neighborhood and kind of knew there's snow on the roof. So you can't get up there when there's snow on the roof. So everybody uses that as an excuse not to take their Christmas lights down. I'm like, yeah, there's snow on the roof. That, that excuse worked through, like, I don't know, March maybe, but no excuse now. But the, the culture in Israel is that they, they live on the rooftops. They're, 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 it's just very common. You'll see it today. The patios, everything's done on the roof. There's, they're, they're landlocked. It's a very small country. So you build a house and everything happens on the roof. 
And so Jesus here is talking to you. So for you guys, my point being, it's, it's, not, it's not for us here in Tooele, Utah. This, this is in the middle of the tribulation. He's talking to Jewish people who are going to be in Israel, who, who are going to literally flee. And they're going to flee to a rock city. We believe that to be a city called Petra in Amman, Jordan, right, right near, next to Amman, Jordan. Where, where the Jews literally will f- flee at the three and a half year point in the middle of the tribulation. He says, pray that your flight not be on Sabbath. If, if our flight was on Sabbath, would that affect any of us? No. But, but if you go in Israel, it, it would greatly affect everything that you do. Everything shuts down. Everything's different. Public transportation. The, the Sabbath is still observed in Israel. In Israel, the, the greeting is shalom. You go, you walk down the streets, you know, you dumb Americans, you can go to Israel and and you, you can be, um, that's what they think of you, not what I think of you. No, and they don't either. People in Israel are amazing. But you go and you say, Shalom, 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 until you get to Friday evening. And then when you get to Friday, the greeting changes. And now it's Shabbat Shalom. And, and so you say, that's what you say from Friday, Friday to Saturday. And that's, that's the Sabbath. Shabbat is Sabbath. So, you know, that would be like, hello, hello. Like we only have one word, hello. They have hello. And then like, hey, it's Sunday, hello. Hey, it's day to go to church. Hello. It's, it's the Lord's rest day. Hello. And so that's, that's, that's only going to affect people that are in Israel. If it's on the Sabbath or if it's, if those who are on the rooftop and then it goes down and it says in verse 20, let's go to 20. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved for the eldest elect's sake who has chosen. He shortened those days. And look, there, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets have risen and shown signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed that I have told you all things beforehand. So the elect, there's three different people in the Bible that are described as God's elect. The church, which is you and I. The, the, the nation of Israel, or God's elect, or God's chosen. And the tribulation saints, those that are going to get saved during the seven-year period. And it says, if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. So you don't have to worry about it, though. If, you don't have to worry about being deceived. If you're deceived, you weren't elect. If you're elect, then you, you won't be deceived. And if you're a child of God, you, don't, you, you won't fit into that category that's going to be deceived. And then Jesus said, but take heed, I have told you things beforehand. Really quickly, I just want to tell you that, that the Holy Spirit and God's stamp on this book and on the Bible is, and what sets it out from all the rest is that the Bible tells the end from the beginning. Prophecy is the mark of the Bible. The Bible is full. A third, third percent, third of the Bible is prophecy. And it's the only book that dares to be 100% right and tell the future before it happens, exactly as it is. No other book does that. No other religion claims that. And, and so this is God's stamp on this book that it tells the begin the, the end from the beginning. In verse 24, it says, Now in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give light and the stars of heaven will fall and the power of its heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming where? Verse 26, where? With great or with power and great glory. And they will send His angels and gather together His elect and gather together from the four winds from the farthest parts of the earth and the farthest parts of heaven. And now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender, it puts forth leaves and you know that it's summer. So you also, when you see these things happen, know that it is near even at the doors. And so I told you guys already that the, the fig tree is Israel and, and, and the, the, 
when he says the generation that sees the fig tree blossom is the generation that's going to see these things. And you have to realize that in AD 70, Titus Vespasian sacked Israel and the Jews were dispersed all around the world. When Hitler went to destroy the Jews, he didn't go to Israel to get them, right? Why? Because they weren't there. There was no such thing as Israel. And it wasn't until 19, May 14, 1948, under, under world sentiment, that, that Israel was born again as a nation and Aliyah began, which was the, the pilgrimage back to Israel. Today, there's 9 million Jews that live in Israel. And, and so the nation, God says here, Jesus said the, the generation that sees Israel being reborn as a nation, the, the generation that sees Ezekiel 36 and 37 fulfilled before your very eyes, this will be the generation that will see these things come to pass. That is the most important, the biggest proof text that we have that, that, that we are, or we're living in a time that, that it's now possible. You know, before Israel was reborn as a nation, it wasn't even possible. And now we have seen the nation of Israel be reborn. In 1800, you could be studying your Bible and reading your Bible and, and, and hopefully living as, as God's intention is for us to live with an expectancy that Christ could come back. But you had a pretty big problem. There was no Israel, no Jerusalem. And, and now we have that in the days that we're living. And, and, God, and Jesus says the generation that saw that will be the one. You know, that's how people set, have oftentimes set and missed setting dates on the return of Jesus. And, and, you know, we had this guy, Harold Camping. You guys remember him? You hear that name? He was the guy that set the date. Um, Jesus is coming back on such and such date. It wasn't that long ago, and he's been wrong, and they're always wrong. But, but they try to take this here and, and they add what a biblical generation is. And so 1948, and they said a biblical generation is 40 years. And so that brings you to 1988. And then they do some math things and they figure out. And, and it's always wrong. It's never right. You know, and, and so because if all they had to do was keep reading, in verse 32 it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. No one knows the day or the hour. So the next time a herald camping comes to you and says, hey, this is when Jesus is coming back. What are you guys going to do? You're going to sell everything you own and go join him? No, because Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour. Jesus is coming back. He's not back yet. There's work to do. Get to work. And if somebody tells you here or there, we don't know the hour. Paul says, and, and, and Jesus' heart for us, and Paul says of the, the day and hour you don't know, but of the times and seasons, you shall know. You shall know what the times and seasons are, is what the Apostle Paul told us. But we don't know what the day and hour is, and we're not supposed to know. And then it says, take heed, verse 33, watch and pray. For you do not know when the time is. Now, when Jesus said, take heed, he gets to the end of this message and he tells them what's going to happen. And then, and then Jesus is building this stuff up. And these guys are probably like freaking out by now. Like, they're, they're a little like, what do you do? What do we do? Jesus, when all this stuff happens and kind of scared like any of us would be. And then Jesus gets to the climax and he's like, okay, guys, I'm going to tell you, when this stuff happens, this is what you do. What do you think would have happened at that point? That's like mic drop, pin drop. You, you know, that's like E.F. Hutton talking, right? People are listening. And they're, they're really tuned in to what Jesus is going to say, what they should do that's applicable to you and I today of what we should do in light of, these, of this information and these events. And so Jesus says to them, says, Jesus said, move to Montana, buy guns, store food, and if anybody comes to get food from you, shoot them in Jesus' name. 
Is that what it says? But that's what you guys are doing? Don't trip. I know what you guys are doing. I know how you talk. Oh, we got our stuff, Pastor. We got our guns and our food and our water. We're going to... You know what? I, I, I honestly, I don't think that Jesus forgot to tell us to store guns and food and be ready for the apocalypse. He didn't, he didn't build up to this and it's the end. It's the last message. And Jesus tells us all these ominous things. He's got his disciples right on the edge and he's got them in the palms of his hands and then he's going to deliver the punchline and he just forgets it. No, that's not what he did. He told him what to do. He said, therefore, when you see these things, when you, when you see all this stuff unfolding, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Now, now I want to tell you, I'll let you off the hook just a little bit. I, I'm not afraid. I'm not, I'm not saying anything that, you know, a little bit of emergency preparedness in our lives is not frugal and not a good idea. As a church, we, we have this little like weird wine cellar thing down here under this, this closet. They say that's where the Chinese immigrants lived when they were building the railroads, like in the 20s. This building's been here since, I don't know, 1890s or something. And, and so in there, we have um, tons of water and food and some uh, um, cooking supplies and just enough stuff for maybe 100 people to live a couple weeks under there. You know, that, that's, that, that, but that's not what I'm talking about, right? I think a little bit of preparedness is okay. But I'm talking about a mentality that I hear from Christians that in retrospect of what's going on, that we're supposed to hide and we're supposed to prepare. And, you know, and if you're really a Christian, honestly, when, when the word gets out that you have food and supplies and they come for help, are you, what are you going to do? Are you going to shoot them? You know, I mean, it just doesn't make sense, right? And I don't think Jesus forgot, you guys. If you trust Jesus, you believe what he said, this is what he said. Watch and pray. Now, the word watch is not what the disciples were doing when they were gazing into heaven, you know, and the angel showed up and said, hey, guys, what are you doing? This is Jesus who's up in that cloud. He's coming back. But in the meantime, to get to work, he told you what to do. Go do it. This watch is actually could just be short for watchmen. So watch and pray means that we're watchmen. What does a watchman do? A watchman sits on a wall and he's got the people that he loves and his city and his 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 brothers and sisters and his family and his city men. And women behind him. And it's his responsibility to protect all of them. And he sits on the gate of the city and he watches. And when he sees an opposing army coming, what does he do? Hey, get ready, they're coming. And if he doesn't sound the alarm as a watchman on the wall, and he falls asleep or he sees them coming, and he's like, oh, they don't look that tough. I don't need to let anybody know. And the people come in and they kill the people in the city that he loves. Their blood is on his hands, right? And that's what, what we're as Christians and what Jesus said when he said, watch and pray. We're watchmen. So you watch and you pray. And when you see these things start to happen, don't ignore them. Don't go to Montana and dig a hole. And get in it. It's not going to help you. It's not my will. It's not my plan for you. And if you die out there sharing the gospel, praise God. But get out there and do something. And, and, and be a watchman on a wall who, who tells people, hey, there's, there's danger coming. You've got you to get ready. You've got to have Jesus ready in your life. And, and be ready for God and be ready and, and witnessing and sharing and praying. You know, Daniel was studying the scriptures and Daniel, you know, he, he figured out what was going on. And the Bible says after Daniel, we give this wonderful prophecy we studied in Daniel chapter nine. And when Daniel was done, like digging into the scriptures and finding out what was going on, it says, then he prayed, he began to pray. And then an angel showed up and gave Daniel the amazing revelation that we have. That, that predicts the exact day that, that Messiah would come riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. And so watch and pray as God's call for your life. Amen?
I got one last little verse and then we'll be done. And it says, it's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening at midnight, in the, in the crow, crow, bleh, crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, what? Watch. Watch. Let's stand. So this is what I hope you heard today. And I felt a little jambled because I had a ton of stuff that I was trying to fit into a short amount of time. It was Caleb's fault. He, he sang that bar of hallelujah too long. Um, Jesus is coming. The Bible is clear in multiple places. He tells us the things that we're to watch and pray for. But he's not here yet. And in the meantime, there's work to do. And so let's, let's, let's serve Jesus. Let's grow in Jesus. I want to give anybody that's in here an opportunity to get their heart and life right with Jesus this morning. If you came this morning and, and you don't know the Lord, and apart from what's, what's happened here, the Holy Spirit has already been working in your life and calling you and telling you to come home, telling you that, 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 that He loves you and that you, you're a sinner and you need salvation and you need to repent and get right with God. We want you to have an opportunity this morning to receive Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Savior. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? And I want to pray, and I want to pray for you and with you, and just want to ask that if there's, if there's anybody in here today who needs to get their life right with Jesus or wants to rededicate their life with Jesus, just raise your hand, put it down. And I want to, we see you there and there. Anybody else that just wants to make a commitment or just say to Jesus, I want to, get, I want to get right. And Jesus is calling you this morning and maybe you don't even know Jesus and you want to get saved and you want to ask him in your heart for, for the first time. Is there anybody here that, that wants to get right or ask Jesus? Anybody else? Raise your hand up. All right. God bless you. God bless you. All right, let's pray. Let's, let's pray out loud together. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. Please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe that you died and rose again the third day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let me pray for you briefly. Jesus, I thank you for each person in here. Lord, I pray for each person who raised their hand. And I pray, Father, wherever they are in their lives, God, that, that you would meet them right where they are and that you would lovingly encourage them. And we thank you for those that made decisions today for Christ. And Lord, for, for anyone in here, Lord, as, as the word of God says, once one sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. And so, Father, we thank you. And Lord, I do pray for them individually. And, and Lord, pray, God, that, that you would pour your spirit out upon them and help us to fall so in love with you, Jesus, to be ready for your coming. And Lord, to, to know that you're coming and, and be serving in the same time. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.